0: Our scripture is found today in the book of Hebrews, 2nd chapter, verses 17 and 18, and in the 4th chapter, verses 14 through 16. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people... Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I have a uh, pastor friend who is teaching his three-year-old daughter, Caitlin, the Lord's Prayer. And uh, he would come in by her bedside at night and they would recite it back and forth. He'd say a few words and then she'd repeat them back. And they did that for a number of nights until she announced to him one evening that she was ready to solo it. And so she stood up right and announced every word clearly as a young lady would do, you know, uh, uh, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And she kept going. And dad was just so proud. It's my girl, my girl. And she, it was flawless. Got toward the end, and she said, And lead us not into temptations, but deliver us some email. Amen. So, uh, now, email's not going to deliver us from a temptation. Uh, and all too often, we give in to it. And to be honest, we let ourselves fall prey to it often, don't we? We set ourselves up for it sometimes. My wife, where is she in here? Hey there. When The summer, uh, uh, well, when we met, uh, she lived down in Fort Lauderdale, and there were a lot of houses down there where in the backyards they had canals. But you didn't want to go swimming in the canals usually. Either the water was dirty or you had gators or both, so you didn't want to do that. But I read about a man who moved his family down there and had heard that you're not supposed to swim in the canal. So when they went into the house on the first day, uh, he said, now, son, just don't go swim in the canal. And he said, okay, dad. Later that day, he comes home carrying wet swim trunks. He said, where have you been? He said, swimming in the canal. Didn't I tell you not to swim there? Yes, dad. Well, why did you? He said, dad, I had my trunks with me and I couldn't resist the temptation he said, well, why did you take your trunks with you? He said, so I'd be prepared to swim in case I was tempted. So there you go. But when it gets down to it, temptation is no laughing matter. It is an intense daily struggle, as you know, and it can be intense and it can lead to sin, which leads to pain and regret and guilt. And when we give into it, there is no one to blame but ourselves. That's a whole other sermon, but you know that's the case. So as we stumble along, though, being tempted as we are, how pathetic we are compared to the holy, majestic, no blemish whatsoever God of the universe. And yet, and yet that God had a son who cared enough about our plight of temptation that he came close to us, very close to us. He even subjected himself to everything, and I mean everything to which we are subjected in this life, including temptation. Why? So He could identify with us, understand our struggle, and yes, strengthen us when we are tempted. Now, have you and I considered the significance of this as of late? Do we realize that Jesus really is our friend in temptation, really our best friend in temptation? And I think our readings from Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4 capture this beautifully, and they really engage in a wonderful interplay between the two. So we're going to kind of dance between those two passages as we go along. But we need to realize the significance first before we get to this understanding of Jesus being tempted in every way. Let's understand and appreciate once again the incarnation itself. What is John 1.14? The Word became what? Flesh and walked among us. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 14, beginning. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Where it says the great high priest who has ascended into heaven, in the Greek it can literally mean who has passed through the veil. What the writer of Hebrews, who was a good Jewish Christian, was doing was hearkening back to the curtain that is torn in two in the temple which separated everyone from the holy of holies. But it had been torn, and because of that, we now had direct access to God, and that's all fine and good. He ascended into heaven, and because of that, we have full access to God. But what is amazing is sometimes we fail to appreciate that long before that, God imposed upon himself full access to us by sending his Son, full access to you and me in every way. Go to chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. You know, soon we're going to be celebrating Advent, and I hope we realize the significance of the incarnation, God becoming flesh. Do you and I really appreciate how low he condescended? He didn't just descend to us, he condescended, he lowered himself. Gave up so much so that he might be with us and walk with us in every way. I love the image, the, the, the metaphor really that C.S. Lewis uses. Sometimes he uses very flowery and complicated ones, but when he talks about the incarnation, I love how basic it is. Let's go to this. Just follow me the next few slides. And he uses the metaphor of a dog. Lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine for the moment that your dog and every dog is in deep distress. Some of us love dogs very much. If it would help all the dogs in the world to become like men, would you be willing to become a dog? Would you put down your human nature, leave your loved ones, your job, your hobbies, your art and literature and music, and choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved, the poor substitute of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your tail, unable to smile or speak? This is how he closes, Christ By becoming man, limited the thing which to him was the most precious thing in the world, his unhampered, unhindered communion with the Father. I want you to think about that. That immediately reminds me of that wonderful hymn that you find in Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, because this puts it in a wonderful, lyrical way. Though he was God, or some say though he was in the form of God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born of a human being, or as a human being, I should say. He did not cling to his divinity. He must have been tempted to, but he did not. The sovereign God of all things brought his Son close to us out of that unconditional love. So we go back to Hebrews 2.7. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us his brothers and sisters so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Now, I love that word high priest there. I love reading it, and I'm, I'm not trying to be, oh, he's, he knows Latin, but I like reading it in Latin, okay? just I'm a geek, so deal with that. And I love reading it uh, from the original, it was called the Latin Vulgate translation in 407 AD. Do I have any BP students here who would remember who, who did that translation? Go on. Mike, do you know it? What was his name? Saint Jerome, BP student. What do I give him, extra credit, automatic A? What do you think? Give me an amen if you think automatic A. Uh, Nice try, okay. Uh, Jerome, that marvelous, marvelous scholar, the first guy to do a translation fully from the Hebrew and the Greek. In the Latin, the word there for high priest is pontifex. Do you know what pontifex literally means? I love this, bridge maker, bridge builder. That's exactly what Jesus did as he came down here to serve as our high priest. He built a bridge between ourselves and the God from whom we had been separated. Beautiful, beautiful image and use of that word. And he didn't do it merely as a superhuman action hero. I liked your prayer, Ricky, because in one sense, Jesus really is a superhuman action hero, but he didn't, just, he didn't just take advantage of his divinity here. He allowed his full humanity to come along, and he did it in a way where he fully identified with you and with me, even in our temptations. Now, I want you to really understand the gravity and the seriousness of that, of that. So, was Jesus tempted to steal according to the Word of God? Yes. It was Jesus tempted to lie was he tempted to cheat was he tempted to gossip to slander you know what based on biblical revelation the answer to that is yes was he tempted sexually based on the word of god indeed he was but he never gave in to the temptation to sin but everything that you and i are tempted by everything that we're tempted to do wrong jesus was too So he's able to help us as we are tempted and strengthen us. And what's wonderful is he understands, he identifies with us. Now I want us to look not just at the significance of the incarnation, I hope we can appreciate that, but let's look at the intensity of Jesus' temptations. Go back to Hebrews uh, 4, 15. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not Sin now now first of all we need to review a theological question that we deal with in biblical perspectives too now Nick you've gotten all A's on your exams Nick Ridenour who's a big Cardinals fan how could Jesus be fully human and yet without sin no that's a long essay I'm not going to make you do that but how could Jesus be tempted and yet not sin and more broadly how could Jesus be fully human and yet without sin. Let's talk about that. Well, you could first say, well, he was also fully divine. So when he was tempted, he kind of had that advantage that you and I don't have. But you also need to understand a clear understanding of sin. Not Jesus' divinity, but sin. Sin is not a normal part of being human. It is an abnormal part. It is an aberration to our humanness. It is a corruption, a contamination of our humanness. There were only three fully human people who ever lived. There's Adam and Eve, pre-fall, and then Jesus. They were, Adam and Eve were fully human until Genesis 3, and then the fruit, and there you go, the fall. Jesus maintained his full humanity and was tempted, but did not allow himself to be contaminated by sin. Amazing. And, and, and you think about it, and you realize that when you go to Genesis 2.25, This is the end of that wonderful creation account where he creates the man and the woman. It says, now the man and his wife are both naked, but they felt no shame. Now, why does the guy take time to tell us that? I mean, is it just, yeah, they were naked and running around. Is that it? No, that's dumb guy voice. Uh, No, that's not the case. In a beautiful... uh, 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 imagery what he's saying is they had nothing to be ashamed of originally they were uh, in not in conflict at all but in harmony with each other with creation and most importantly with their god they had nothing to be ashamed of they were originally good they were not tainted by sin because they were not tempted at that time so again that's what we mean by how can he be tempted in every way yet without sin how could he be fully human yet without sin So he was tempted every way, did not sin. But consider, this is where I want to get to. Consider how difficult that must have been for him. Much more intense than for you. I mean, he experienced all that tempts us, but even more intensely. Compare his own experience to our own temptation. Think about that. We are too familiar with temptation. (laughs) Really, when you think about it, we are desensitized to it. We are anesthetized to it. We're numb to it. It's so common. It's all around us. It it distracts us all the time. For Jesus, though, think about him being tempted but never sinning. That would be like someone with 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 an amazing voice and a a wonderful ear for music uh, being stuck somewhere where there's the worst disharmony and cacophony of sounds you could ever find, and you can't escape it. Or someone who has this incredible faculty of smell, sensitive smell, and that person has to live in a place where there's the most odorous filth you can even think of, and they can't can't escape it. Or somebody who has this a sublime uh, uh, you know, sublime view of beauty, just can recognize beauty so well, and they are forced to stare at something utterly grotesque and gruesome, ongoing. Think about this. You know, we're so desensitized and anesthetized to temptation, we don't feel its full force. Here's the key. Jesus felt the full force of temptation for 30 years, 30 years feeling the full force of temptation. Uh, I have a colleague at uh, Sanford who teaches political science named Bill Collins. Bill's a fascinating guy, uh, was in Vietnam, then later on became a monk, was in a monastic order, and then uh, left the monastery for a while to become a professor. And uh, when he retires from Sanford, his plan is to go to Rome, and there's some small monastic order that he wants to join, and he's going to be a monk again. So there you go, very, very interesting guy. Um, I remember going with him to lunch one day, because I always learned something new from Bill. He's, he's kind of funny, a little bit crazy and quirky, like professors. And uh, I remember asking him, when you were in the monastery, was it easier to deal with temptation than out here with everything going on? You know what he said? No, it's just the opposite. It's worse in the monastery. It's a bigger battle in the monastery. I wouldn't have thought that. And I said, why? He says, because you're more sensitized to it. You realize all the more it's there because you're not distracted enough. You realize the gravity of it. So it's harder in the monastery to deal with sin. Now, magnify that a thousandfold for Jesus because he dealt with it all the more. Now, you can say, yeah, but he was the Son of God. You know, he was also divine. He was perfect, so he had that advantage. Yeah, but his temptation was far beyond what you and I would ever experience in such full force. And i try to think of a, of a metaphor for that. And l- let me just try this. In the summer of 84, when Deanna and I met, we were on the West Coast traveling team for Centrifuge Youth Camps. And I remember when we uh, came into Washington State and we went fairly close to Mount Rainier. Anybody seen Mount Rainier? Been to it? Climbed it? Did you? Oh, been to it though. Cool. Uh, 14,000 feet. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous uh, snow-capped mountain. Just stunning. But I remember looking at that and thinking, man, Mount Everest, over twice as high, 29,500 feet, twice as high. And I remember thinking about that, and I thought, you know, and and I've read enough books about Everest and explorations of Everest that, you know, climbers who go to Everest have certain advantages. You know, first of all, they get that bottled oxygen. You don't get that at Rainier as you're climbing. You get bottled oxygen. You get Sherpas. Well, if you pay $70,000, you get a Sherpa and, and maybe a guide, and they help you get up there to the peak, hopefully. And so you have some advantages, you know, climbing Everest that you don't have at Rainier, but the thing is, it's much, much, much more intense and dangerous and pressure-packed to climb Everest, as you probably know. Much more difficult situation to face, at 29,500 feet, then 14,000, you know, t- t- you, get, you get toward uh, 25,000 feet, and you enter the death zone. You might have read about some of this, the book by Krakower or one of these people. You get into the death zone, and after that, you start to, to, to lapse into hypothermia. It gets very, very dangerous at that point because you're high. So you might have some advantages, but it's still tougher, much tougher for Jesus. Yeah, he had certain advantages, but it had to be much tougher. You know, where do you, you and I usually fall into temptation? You know, 3,000 feet, 5,000 feet, maybe 12,000, maybe 14,000. But Jesus never gave in to any temptation at all. Can you even comprehend that? That's way beyond Everest. You know, Jesus faced a much, much, much higher threshold of pain and suffering due to temptation that you and I will never face. Not ever. So there's no reason to say Jesus couldn't identify with us. Indeed, he can. Take us to uh, chapter 2, verse 18. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing much more so, much more intensely than you and I can ever even imagine, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Now let's talk for just a moment about the two times that appear to be in the biblical record, the most difficult times that Jesus was tempted, first of all, when he met the deceiver, the devil. You know he, he, now let 's back up here. backstory. He had, he had been baptized, and that was, in a sense, his commissioning to go out and begin his ministry, and he goes immediately into the desert to fast for forty days, as Keith's saying about, and he does that he 's hungry, he 's vulnerable. But what would be his most vulnerable point? Help me with this. What would be his Achilles heel? If you're Jesus, help me with this, if you're Jesus and you know ultimately that you have been baptized, commissioned to go on this particular mission, and you know where this mission is going to wind up, what is your Achilles heel? Where are you most vulnerable? Because what does the devil do? He starts out with a softball, I think. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into what? Bread. Throws them a softball, and Jesus says, ah, quote some scripture, you know, knock it off. Uh, Jump off the pinnacle of this temple, Jesus, because you won't even bruise your toe, and people will love that and follow you just for that, for shallow reasons. But then he says, you know what, let me just make it easier for you. I will give you everything. I will give you everything in this world if you will just do what? Bow down and worship me. Do you realize how vulnerable Jesus was at that point? Because what was the devil telling him? If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you the world, and therefore you can avoid what? The suffering and the torture and the injustice and hanging on a cross, gasping for breath, and dying in the most painful of manners. Jesus, you can just circumvent all that. Just bow down and worship me. I'll give it to you anyway. Do you realize how vulnerable Jesus had to be at that moment? But once again, he... Quotes the word of God and says, go away. I know my mission. I've got to fulfill my father's will. And I think the bookend event, which had to be perhaps an even greater temptation is when he's where? In Gethsemane. And he, fa- he says, father, let this, what? Cup pass from me. Very vulnerable. He knows it's coming along soon. He had to be tempted to give it up. And it had to be the most intense of temptations. But he says, not my will but yours. And he went through with it. And there's that wonderful, I think one of the most beautiful depictions about all that we're talking about is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for whose sin? Our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. Look at Hebrews 2, 17 one more time. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful pontifex, bridge builder, before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, and you know what that sacrifice was. The high priest sacrificed himself. Let me ask you this. It brings us all to this. In what way are you being tempted right now? And if you had to pinpoint something just between you and God that you might not even want to share with anybody else, in what way are you being tempted lately? Is it with something sexual? Is it something relational? Is it something money-related? Is, is it something uh, going on at work or at school? Is it something you're angry about and you want to strike back or something? What, what are you being tempted to do that you know you don't need to do? But you fall into it so easily without even realizing it. You know, t- uh, Two years ago I read from the Mobile Register newspaper uh, about a woman who was out in Pensacola Beach, and, and she was uh, on this wonderful, relaxing uh, uh, inflated float, you know, and she was just loving the sun and just loving all of it. And then she finally looked up and realized she, was, she had drifted a half mile out from the beach. Way out in the water, and she screamed. Nobody heard her. She winds up drifting out five miles from the coast. And fortunately, there was a Coast Guard boat that was going by, took care of her. But she didn't realize, you know, when she entered the water, she didn't see the danger. She didn't see it coming until it was way beyond her own strength, way beyond her own self sufficiency. So in what area are you drifting into temptation, possibly towards something that you will regret, (laughs) that you will wish had never happened? The good news is this, final verse. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive what mercy and find what grace to help us in our time of need If you were to say, this is my time of need now, what would you be saying in terms of a temptation with which you struggle? What's so great is when you bring it to him, he's not confused about it, or he's not blown away like, oh, how bad of you? No, he understands. He understands better than anybody. And no one can provide for you the grace and mercy that only he can. So will you let him do that this morning? Let's pray together. In some way, oh God, we all are at a point of need, uh, not just to be forgiven of sin, but to be strengthened because of some temptation that we face. So Lord, we take just a moment now to confess whatever's tempting us. I'd like to ask each of you, if you would, just just what is it right now that you're struggling with the temptation that you know (laughs) you need help with? Will you take just a silent moment and lift that up to God and ask for strength? Go to that throne of grace that does nothing but exude mercy and grace. Do that for a moment. Lord, we are so frail, <laughs> and we just kind of bumble along, <laughs> doing our best to struggle with these temptations, whether it is something uh, financial. Maybe it's a temptation just to give up and, and be defeated. Maybe it's a, a temptation that is, is something very, very personal we don't want other people to know. Whatever it might be, will you hear our prayers, and thank you that we can approach your throne, yes, of grace and of mercy, Be with us as we continue to struggle with temptation. Remind us again, you are the source of strength to overcome it. We pray these things in your name. Amen.